Okay, so uh, last week we did uh, 20 to 25 and uh, uh, maybe uh, VP, if you can probably just uh, chant the, uh, the, the shlokas for this week, then I can quickly summarize what we what we discussed last week and then we can start off our discussion. Haryom. Kaam Kodh Vyuktanam Yatinam Yatchetasam Abhito Brahma Nirvanam Vartate Viditatmanam Isparshan Kratva Vahibharya Chakshush Chivantare Bhuvoho Prana Pano Samo Kratvaha Nasabhya Antarcharino Yatendriyam No, sorry, Yatendriyam Mano Buddhil Muni Moksh Parayanaha Vigate Chabhya Krodho Yaha Sadamukta Evusaha Bhuktaram Yagat Pasam Sarvulokam Meshwaram Suhidram Sarvabhutanam Yatva Mam Shantim Nachati Hario. Wonderful, VP. Supu, do you also want to go? Yeah, I could. Yeah. <clears throat> Kama Kroda Vyuptanam, Yatinam Yatachetasam, Abito Brahmani Vanam, Vartate Viditatmanam, Sparshan Kritwa Bahir Bahyam, Chakshuchaivanta Rebruvo, Prana Panao Samo Kritwa, Nasa Bhyanta Racharinao, Yatendriamano Buddir, Munir Moksha. Parayanaha Vigates Chabayo Krodho Yesada Mukta Yevasaha Boktaram Yagyatapasam Sarvaloka Maheshwaram Sukhrudam Sarva Bhutanam Gyatva Mam Shantim Richati Om Tatsachrimat Bhagavad Gita Supanishatsu Brahma Vidhyayam Yoga Shastri Shri Krishna Arjuna Samvade Karma Sanyasa Yogo Nama Panchara Shodhyayaha Om Tatsat. Wonderful. I am so glad that, uh, you know, uh, we are starting to volunteer to chant. It is really beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Special thanks to VP and uh, uh, Subhu for kicking it off. And Alpana, of course, she did that in the previous uh, time. Okay. So, uh, last week, uh, I'm, just, I'm just looking at my notes here, so it'll be a little bit more easier for me to go through. So we did 20 to 25, and uh, we started off with uh, Vivek's overview of the Paramarthashram trip. And then somehow, I do not know, um, 
who initiated this or whatever, but we got into a beautiful concept called theory of marginal utility of getting happiness. Okay. And then, uh, so then we also talked about uh, the uh, uh, spiritual happiness. One, uh, one will get back to it once, once we taste it all the time and one will get back to it because the happiness experienced is multiplied instead of diminishing utility. That's the big difference between the material happiness and the spiritual happiness. And uh, then you also talked about desires in general and desire is like an avalanche. That was a beautiful example somebody used. Anything that comes in between you and desire makes us angry. So then we started talking about reducing expectations and then the influence, uh, the, the desires, the, uh, how, how, how it influences the desires to fade away. Okay. Uh, there was another uh, uh, another question which uh, Shamala raised, which kind of you know pivoted the entire discussions for us. Is the theory of marginal returns applicable for relationships as well, rather than for the material benefits? That was the question that Shamala uh, asked, and I'm paraphrasing her, so uh, please bear with me. So then I think uh, Subhu introduced this uh, car theory by Gaur Gopal Das, where. Uh, you, he, he kind of you know summarized saying that uh, if something is going right or wrong, irrespective of what it is, uh, uh, change what you can see. The, that is the C. And avoid uh, being in the company of the people that are toxic. That's the A. And then rise above, even if you cannot do anything. That's the R. The car theory is what uh, you, you, two, you two mentioned. Words. Two hours. One is remove remove yourself from the situation if it's possible, but if not, then rise above. Yeah. Oh, it's two hours. It's C A R R theory. Is it okay? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Got it. Okay. Uh, then what is uh, accept is it? No. Sorry, Kishore. Uh, what is the A in car? Sorry, I forgot. Avoid being in the company of people. Yeah. Avoid. So, so then what is removed then? Um, so remove is like, uh, what he says is, you know, uh, see, avoid is like try to avoid uh, a certain situation, etc. Remove is like completely extricate yourself from the whole thing, from the relationship itself. Like, for example, you want to severe or take a divorce uh, in case there is something that is not going right. So that is something that you can also, you know, uh, go to, right? Um, and if you're still not in a position, but you still have to maintain the relationship, right? Uh, then you tend to rise above the whole situation and okay. uh, yeah. move it from a different light. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Then we talked about the more one attaches to anything, one suffers more. Attachment is not required, but we can always do our duty. That's something that we discussed. And then this interesting thing about children, when it came about Kishore, I think you mentioned once again, something that we have been uh, discussing multiple times here, which is children's are, children are born through us and through us. So that's a very important thing that we need to look in, in terms of perspective change, in terms of reducing our expectations from close relationships like children. Then... Uh, I think Muku mentioned about we can manifest what we want in our relationships. There's no other. It's uh, it's just one entity. If you start thinking about it that way, the perspective change, then you can actually manifest what you really want. And uh, uh, and I think uh, there's a little bit of leadership lessons from uh, uh, from you, Subhu, where you talked about genuine curiosity in the other people helps us to manage them better. That was another thing that we talked about. Uh, and then I think. Uh, um, I don't know who summarized this, but it was very beautiful. So I wrote it down. So if you want to have more peace, 
rather than quote unquote uh, pleasure or anything. First is try to have less than more. Seek to be last rather than first. Seek to do will of others rather than your own. In all things, recognize and learn to accept the will of God. I think this was Alpana who mentioned this, if I remember right. Yeah. Okay. And um, then there was this beautiful statement saying that uh, uh, if if someone says, I want peace, then the way that you need to understand is, I is the ego, want is a desire. Remove the ego and desire and you will get peace. That was a very beautiful, you know, shortcut to remember how to get peace. Okay. And uh, uh, so effectively in the last uh, satsang, we sort of try to understand what's the connection between desire and expectation. What's the relationship between them? What's the cause and the, what's the effect? So, um, so you know, I think uh, the key summary was that I, I, I'm not 100% sure if uh, uh, if we agreed or disagreed or, you know, whatever, that expectations and desires have a, have a connection. But I thought it was more about how we start looking at uh, expectations and desires from a third person's point of view and start dropping both of them, actually. Lovely. Okay. Anyone can add any comments before we let uh, let the ball rolling with the uh, Subhu slides on these uh, uh, shlokas? All right, Subhu. Over to you. Well summarized, Rajesh. Yeah, very nice. Thanks for recapping. Uh, okay, um, so I've just made the small notes on these four, uh, you know, slokas that we were supposed to do today. Um, the first one is obviously, um, you know, um, the shloka where the Lord says that, you know, one who has conquered uh, the instincts of lust and anger uh, has sub and subdued the mind has actually realized me, right? Um, so. He's the one who's completely, you know, mastered his senses. Just a second. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so he's the one who's completely mastered all the threats arising from within. And those that come from him, uh, within him and without him. Okay. Uh, outside of him. And uh, he's therefore truly liberator, uh, liberated even in this while he's still alive. And uh, here and hereafter. So the sannyasin is no more uh, conscious of the body uh, once he has subdued his mind and uh, conquered his instincts of lust and anger. And therefore, he can verily mix in, you know, with uh, the entire world, outside world, uh, be it whether he's in the presence of uh, the lustful, the passionate, the sensuous, uh, the false, the low, <clears throat> it doesn't seem to affect him at all. And something very similar to, you know, a doctor working amongst the unhealthy, okay, uh, when he's actually trying to cure them. Uh, a lot of times we harbor this misconception that the external circumstances are actually responsible for the way, you know, uh, we have our peace of mind. And uh, uh, somewhere, I think this loka reinforces the fact that, you know, it is not to do with the external, uh, you know, uh, circumstances, but it is more to do with what is there within. And there, <clears throat> I think it's important to understand that peace of mind is not dependent on external circumstances, but something of purified senses, mind and intellect. Okay. Um, so therefore, somebody who has, uh, you know, conquered the instincts of lust and anger and subdued the mind is the person who has realized the self. Uh, in 
I think verse 27 and 28, I think he talks about the fact that while <clears throat> this is something that a person has accomplished, uh, I think he talks about the methodology of how this is done. Um, so more to do with the fact that, uh, you know, uh, sometimes when we look at um, uh, being drawn towards external desires and, you know, objects in the external world, uh, you know, I think what one needs to see is that, you know, uh, it's through the sense organs that actually one gets in touch with the external world. And therefore, it's so important to actually control the sight and the breath as depicted in this uh, shloka. Uh, so he talks about the fact that, uh, you know, when ascetics actually pray, and uh, they're focused in terms of, you know, their, uh, their uh, austerities, uh, they close their eyes and ensure that, you know, they're fully focused um, and uh, focused on their breath, the both the incoming and the outgoing. And uh, this puts them into a suspended yogic trance by which they're able to control the senses, the mind and intellect. And to me, when I read this sloka, you know, uh, the concept of the five koshas came to my mind. Okay. Because uh, I think uh, I've just put a photograph of the five koshas in the next slide. But to me, I think, uh, you know, that really helps to us to understand how do we travel this journey, you know, within. <clears throat> So there, uh, Chinmayananda again goes to say that, you know, when the mind ceases to function, the breath stops and when breath stops, the mind ceases to function. So it's more about how do you get that stillness, you know, within so that you're able to, you know, uh, subdue the mind and, you know, be able to uh, go deeper inwards, right? And uh, most of the times when you look at some of the practices that, uh, you know, people talk about uh, while they're doing, uh, <clears throat> you know, austerities is also uh, while they continue to do the spiritual practices, they also focus on, you know, uh, certain practices like Hatha Yoga and Ashtanga Yoga, which is again a way to master the body, mind and the prana. Okay, uh, so Hatha Yoga, for example, uh, talks about, you know, breath, uh, movements, body movements, it talks about holding on, you know, band, it talks about mudras, it talks about asanas, etc. So people try to do many other practices in addition to this to be able to master the body, mind and the prana. Okay, and uh, those who have uh, you know, done this, uh, you know, are able to sort of understand the self. And uh, most of these that are spoken about here are the physical adjustments, right, that one needs to make to be able to go within. Uh, this is just a picture I picked up from Google, but I thought it is important to, uh, you know, this adds a lot of value to the understanding itself. Because, <clears throat> you know, the body, typically, they say is made up of five sheets, right, the what they call the koshas. Uh, so on the exterior is what we see is the Annamaya Kosa with the physical body. Uh, as you go inside the Annamaya Kosa, the next Kosha that is coming to light is basically the Pranamaya Kosa, which is the breath. <clears throat> the third Kosha is the Manumaya Kosa, where the mind lies, the emotional body, the emotions, uh, which we're trying to sort of, you know, hold on, I mean, uh, control and, you know, regulate. And as you go from the Manumaya Kosa, what you go further deeper, you get into what is called the Vigyanamaya Kosa, which is the intellect. And uh, behind the Vigyanamaya Kosa is what they call the Atma or the bliss or the Anandamaya Kosa. Okay. So, so this is how uh, you know, people travel and, uh, you know, uh, for going within. And it's important to understand how do you break your, you know, barrier with every sheet and sort of go inside a little bit, you know. And uh, <clears throat> here, the biggest challenge is obviously, you know, to do that of the mind, because the mind is, uh, you know, the one which is, you know, completely drawn externally. And uh, sometimes uh, when you go through these classes, you know, they tell you that, you know, how prana helps to actually regulate the mind, because that's the closest to the mind at this point in time, right? So you can actually regulate the uh, mind by ensuring a 
uh, constant uh, you know monitoring of your breath uh, which is what they typically call a soham you know inhale and exhale right and uh, that way your mind is subdued and therefore you know you're able to penetrate a little bit deeper on the last verse i mean on verse number 28 i think it talks about uh, you know again the two uh, you know three emotions here i think we've been speaking about two emotions of desire and anger uh, you know in all our uh, earlier <clears throat> discussions but i think one more uh, emotion is introduced here which is that of fear so desire is something that you know you look outward and you you know attracted to an object and you therefore want to possess it or you procure it so it is an it's an emotion that actually runs and makes you run through the external world anger is something that is uh, you know that can arise at any moment when there is an obstacle between you and the object of desire and fear is something that after you possess you know you have the fear of losing it so basically you are perennially you know you know living with the fear that you may actually lose this at some point in time and so these three you know uh, emotions are being spoken about and uh, you know for somebody who's been able to conquer desire anger and fear uh, it becomes very clear that you know he's able to control and regulate his mind it is something that people draw parallel to the reflection of the body you know uh, in the water when the water is disturbed or you know with uh, is muddy but uh, once it starts to settle down and you know the the water then starts to give you a clear reflection of everything yeah <clears throat> and last but not the least i think the 29 sloka i think he talks about the fact that one who has attained the sadhana and who's got the knowledge of the self um thus knowing me attains peace so here i think two three words are being mentioned that you know sarvalokam maheshwaram meaning the lord of the worlds and uh, sarva suhidram sarvabhutana is the person who is a friend of all uh, you know living beings so essentially uh, you know it is a uh, it's a reassurance from the lord saying that uh, he's there as a sovereign of all the worlds and he's the one who's actually you know uh, you know going through these entire actions and at the same time uh, a well wisher of the human i mean living beings to ensure that uh, those who want to you know sort of go through this path will finally by knowing him attain peace so that's a <clears throat> small summary i made out of these four slides and over to you rajesh yeah no wonderful thank you uh, thank you subbu very nice it's 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 cool to kind of you know revise the entire thing although you know there are several concepts that we already know but it always uh, reinforces what what we need to learn in these uh, in these uh, uh, satsangs yeah. and i i really like i like i like the way that you kind of you know articulated and one thing what what struck me on the slide that you're showing right now is relationship between desire anger and fear i think i was creating a shortcut in my mind right don't run after fads don't run after okay right daf huh? how, okay. how do i remember that right i was just trying to think about that and after i, I came across this acronym here fad at the back reverse <laughs> nice Uh, Subhu, can I uh, mention one thing about the? If you go to slide fourteen about koshas, um, yeah, yeah. I know uh, maybe uh, maybe I heard this wrong, but I, I mentioned Anandamaya kosha being uh, the self. Yeah. My understanding is even that is not right in the sense that these are all part of um, the, the five koshas. I mean, self is tra- transcends all the five koshas, right? So. and the my question uh, is what we experience when in in deep sleep um, on a daily basis uh, in deep sleep right um, th- this is the karana shariram right which uh, which is like the seed or the where the potential is kind of stored uh, i also remember 
again, I don't know where, that our, our karma, um, the karma points, if you will, the plus and minus is also stored there. Um, and, and that travels along with the, the subtle body when uh, at the time of death. So I just wanted to mention that. I, 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 I don't know if I heard wrong, but so sorry if I... No, no, no. I, I know that, you know, they, uh, a lot of people uh, call it the seven layers instead of the five layers. They actually have two more layers and, and that's how they probably split the Anandamaya Kosa into the subconscious mind and the conscious and then they go further down. I'm not very clear on the seven uh, layers, but I know the people um, after the Anandamaya Kosa, they, they talk about, uh, you know, additional layers as well. Yeah. <clears throat> But very interestingly, you know, um, um, what I've heard is that uh, if I look at this journey as a linear path, right, from uh, I start with Anamaya Kosha and go towards this, I think uh, if we are here to subdue the mind and regulate the mind, um, you know, what I was told at least is, um, you know, um, that the easiest way to do it is, you know, try to do it with the sheath which is closest and that is prana, right? And it can also happen through the intellect. But what I was told is um, an intellect actually is <clears throat> something that, you know, tells you what is right and wrong, right? Um, so it just tells you yes and no. So if the mind says something, the Vignayamaya Kosha actually, you know, prompts you saying that, hey, this is good to do, this is not good to do. Right, but it is not in a position to control the mind, which is the manomaya kosa. So people say, if you have to really want to subdue the mind, you know, you go through the pranama prana uh, practices, okay, which is what helps you to sort of subdue the mind and the thoughts, and thereby you know sort of regulate it to a large extent. Uh, you know, <clears throat> Satya Sai Baba used to say that you know mind is a is a monkey. So we say yes, you know, mind is a monkey. Then he would say mind is a mad monkey. He said, okay, agreed, you know, mind is a mad monkey. Then he will say the mind is a mad monkey that is drunk. Okay. So it is still, you know, something that is very difficult to control. And then he would say, mind is a mad monkey that is drunk and bitten by a scorpion. Right. So that's how crazy the mind can be. And uh, the only way, since the mind is something that, you know, uh, continues to be with us during the course of our lives, uh, the only way to regulate the mind is to give some activity. So he would say that, you know, uh, just like a monkey is made to go up and down, you know, the stick, right, uh, by, <clears throat> by its master. So, so long it's given an activity, it keeps doing that up and down and it doesn't cause harm to the neighboring surroundings around, uh, uh, around it. Uh, so one is that mind is something that can be, you know, there's two points here. One is that it is easier to control the mind through prana than uh, anything else. The second thing is mind has to be given certain activities to actually help, uh, you know, keep it uh, busy and engaged. And uh, once you do it over a period of time is when they say that, you know, the, it gets regulated and therefore, you know, subdues and, you know, sort of calms down to a certain level. So that's my take and little understanding that I have on this. But I thought that had a lot of relevance to the koshas had a lot of relevance to the sloka uh, said before. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I think you, uh, um, the, um, you, 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 you said it correctly. So the, um, from what I, my, my experience uh, is that um, the way I, I, I explain this is basically this prana, uh, prana and mind, uh, they're connected to the same shaft, essentially, right? I mean, in the sense that, in, sorry, I, I should say breath and the mind, both are driven by prana eventually, right? The thought process is happening the same way it's powered by it. Um, the, the in and outflow of breath is also the same thing. So, but breath happens to be uh, the external is available to us to control externally. So by controlling the breath, 
um, or, or managing the breath in, in such a way, we are able to, this is like our out external shaft with which we can control to some extent or regulate, control is the wrong word, regulate the flow of thoughts in your mind, which is very, which is more subtle. So uh, it is the uh, one external thing that's available to us, right? So that's, that's one way I look at it because they're both connected to the same thing. How do you know this? Because as you meditate and thoughts slow down, if you observe your breath, the breath has become very, very, very soft. And uh, um, so it works both ways. The breath can, by regulating the breath, we can regulate the thoughts in the mind. But as the thoughts slow down, the breath also slows down, right? Um, and um, uh, I'm also, again, uh, this is something that I, by extension though, as thoughts completely stop, right? In like in a samadhi state, I, by extension, I feel breath completely stops. I, I, if, I don't know if somebody else can add uh, color to this. No, it is but there my, in the sloka, my right? My extrapolation is that, that it, it should stop completely. So if you see the third last line, right? When the mind ceases to function, breath stops, and when the breath stops, the mind ceases to function. Right? Okay. Yeah, this, is, this, is, this is there, yeah. That's got your right. Got it. Because, um, you know, we can see that uh, as as thoughts slow down, breath is like coming to a very thin line, essentially. And then eventually, if, if somebody were to reach the samadhi state, right, then it would, um, yeah, the, the thoughts will stop. But because of the side effect, you're not trying to stop the breath, but because thoughts and um, breath are so interconnected, powered by the same thing, um, it will stop yeah, as a side, a side effect of that. Yes, yeah, sure. this is a wonderful slide. I think this is something that we have heard, but the visual is, can have a better... Is really good. Yeah, no. So this, this is <clears throat> two questions. Uh, I might have heard it wrong. You said it's linear. Probably the connection between the sheets are linear. Is this linear or we can experience, you know, multiple combinations of this? Was one question. Second, I think related is when, uh, when Kishore, you said the breath and the mind are connected. That's, I'm assuming between, not assuming, Annamaya and Pranamaya Kosha, that that's the relation that we are talking about. Is there a similar relation further down, which are which I call as levers that, we, that, ha that are in our control, like breath is in our control. You can't control mind, you control breath, the mind will be controlled. Are there any, as we traverse through different kosha, other levers that we, that are in our control that we can check okay. on? Ah, you know, okay. very, very, very good question. Um, so, uh, to the short answer to that um, is, I think breath is the, um, is the main lever, right? Anything else, everything else is kind of going in, inward even more so, right? Vijnanamaya Kosha is, is the emotional, sorry, is, is the uh, intellect and so on. So those are even more hidden. So Anamaya Kosha, physical body, you can uh, obviously control more, but then prana is with, um, you can, the, the flow of breath, the breath is not equal to prana, right? It's, uh, it's an expression of prana. And we are controlling, by controlling the breath, we're controlling the flow of, uh, the amount of prana that's uh, getting used up and which is also driving the thoughts. So to me, the main, main lever that we have externally 
is the breath. Um, and because you cannot control the emotional mind directly. Um, and mind is getting pulled by the, um, uh, uh, by the sense organs. So yet another way, which is also a prerequisite, I guess, is, is to slowly pull back from the sense organs, right? So this is Pratyahara in the Ashtanga Yoga. So pull back and go in, inward rather than facing outward. Um, so all of these help regulate to some extent, right? Um, so from the body, from uh, pulling back from the senses, using the breath, they, each one contributes a certain extent, to some extent, right? So you can, obviously you cannot always control your external circumstances, but then is it possible for us to uh, stay quiet for some time? That is yes, right? So we are able to, can you close, you know, if you want to close your eyes as, as uh, pointed out here, to some extent, again, it is possible um, by cutting as much external stimulation as possible, at least for a certain period of time. That is one, that is in our control. But then, um, but then even then it might not help because if the mind is still agitated, uh, it doesn't matter if you're sitting in the most serene place in the world, it's not going to help, right? Your mind is still agitated. So why is it agitated, right? So if you, so because you've cut off the, the um, um, uh, stimulation, there's nothing coming in through all the five sense organs, right? You're not even hearing anything. It's very silent early in the morning. Um, um, you're not, you obviously closed your eyes. Um, so everything, there's nothing coming in, but still the mind is agitated. It's because it's dwelling on something in the past, planning, scheming something in the future. It is making a judgment. Um, so these thoughts are still flowing through, but how do you now let that settle down, right? So. Uh, to me, that's why it's, uh, I, I, you know, it's important what we have done in the past, you know, especially the, um, so if you're doing half an hour of meditation, that, what did we do the other 23 and a half hours, right? It's going to determine the quality of the half an hour that we end up doing meditation. Because if you have not slept well, if you ate too much, uh, if you got into an argument with somebody, all of these things are going to play out in the mind, even if you are in the most serene place and you've cut off all this sensory inputs, um, uh, it, it is still going to play out. So then how do you control such an agitated mind or regulate such an, uh, because meditation is an advanced uh, uh, practice. It's going one level deeper, but if with, we can start to regulate it to some extent and only then get into a more deeper level of meditation, right? So, so the way I see it is um, through, uh, uh, asanas and pranayama, you're bringing it down, you're regulating it to some extent. Prana, uh, 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 pranayama and regulation of breath takes it one more level deeper because it has a direct connection to the mind in many ways. And then, as it was pointed out, uh, uh, pratyahara is again pulling again back into inward rather than having the mind go outward into the senses. So that is, that is done. And then you go into of giving the mind one thing to do. So from many infinite number of things, signals coming in, you're giving it one task, which is dharana, right? And then slowly goes into a higher level of that, which would be meditation, where uh, you're, not, you're not trying hard to keep the mind in one thing, but it's automatically flowing that way, right? So these are different, uh, to me, dharana, dhyana, and samadhi other are different states of the same thing going from one to 
vol involuntarily becoming that and eventually reaching a point of no thought, right? And um, um, which is when then the awareness alone uh, remains. So uh, to me, it's like this very well laid out path, um, but to be able to reach those higher level stages, the mind has to be already regulated to some extent and everything else helps you to get to that slightly regulated state and then uh, provides that environment to launch um, uh, from there, right? So, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, longer answer to the question, but to me, uh, from what I understand and uh, in my own practice, breath is the, ba uh, the main uh, thing. And, and obviously being aware of your mind, just being observing your mind Right, whether whether you are aware of the breath or not, even if you're aware of the thoughts in the mind and we're observing it, the actual thoughts actually go down. Just the act of observation, which is nothing, which is what is being called as mindfulness today, right? The act of observation of your own um, mind helps regulate the mind, right? So that helps, breath helps. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, even being able to do that on a daily basis, outside of our, outside the mat, outside the yoga mat, if you will, um, really, really goes a long way, I would say. Just to... Yeah, another lever is uh, food. Right? Yeah, food, food, yeah. Uh, this is coming to that, yeah. Food, food feeds Kusa, everything yeah. else also. Because you know, if you have sat, that's where the sattvic food plays a role. Yeah, yeah correct. Um, yeah, Those food are, has yeah, a big, big role in the vegetation levels. Food and sleep and uh, how much we work, how much we don't work. Um, right, all of those things go into that, into the first. So, yeah. so Shamla, just to answer that question that you had earlier, right? Whether it's linear, I mean, it's one behind the other. I mean, one one beneath the other. Okay, so this is the only trajectory that is being spoken about that I'm aware of. That is Anamaya, Pranamaya, Manumaya, Vijnanamaya, and Anandamaya. Right. So, in some way, it is one beneath the other. So. Um, when we say we have to regulate the mind, mind right now is in this uh, framework in the center. Um, it's not that you can't influence the mind through the Andamaya, but it is a slightly difficult aspect because it is far away and it takes time to sort of, you know, precipitate in the way that you would like to regulate the mind. So, for example, like Mukundan said, uh, Andamaya is about the physical, gross physical body. So what you intake, right, uh, is also something that can help to regulate the mind of its, uh, you know, uh, the impulses that it has and the kind of, you know, emotions that it actually carries. But why people speak more about prana is prana is the closest to the mind, right? And the more quicker for you to be able to regulate it. So if you're really looking at an accelerated path to regulating your mind, prana is the route to do as much because though Vigyanamaya is also close to the mind, Vigyanamaya is like an intellect which is going to say yes and no for everything. It's not going to be able to control the mind, but prana will help you to regulate the mind and control the mind to a larger extent. Okay, that's how uh, I have understood it. And uh, therefore, it's not that uh, the other courses for somebody like a yogi you know what they say is he can enter and exit at will so so somebody you know it's not that you know uh you can't travel the path reverse for us i think it's easier to go from anamaya pranamaya to manomaya okay and uh, but for a yogi he may be able to travel you know at will ex in exit in and you know uh, uh, enter and exit at his will right so that's what they say but uh, I think a lot of stress is given to prana, um, you know, uh, because that helps to, you know, sort of regulate the path. And even if you were to do deep breaths, like if you want to de-stress yourself, right? Um, let's say, for example, 
uh, you're in a very stressful state, they, they tell you take some five deep breaths, right? You're feeling better, right? The mind uh, de-stresses itself uh, just by taking those uh, few inputs of prana into the body, right? Uh, so you want to do a gym, you go do a gym. I mean, uh, people say, you know, it's it's okay for you to go and do that's also an exercise that's a physical form of exercise it also helps in regulating the breath but the way we do yoga pranayama it's a very scientific or a very well studied methodology of focusing only on the breaths to be able to regulate the mind yeah but it doesn't mean that you know you can you cannot do other methods so for example you want to listen to music listen to music you want to go go to the gym exercise go run for 5 kilometers in a marathon go do it it will all help you to de-stress yourself for sure right but these are certain techniques which are slightly more advanced and uh, people probably in our uh, you know uh, practices use prana as a very good tool to be able to uh, regulate the mind yeah it's just one comment i think this whatever we're talking is just is one path right this is not the path uh, because in in sanatan dharma framework this is a path whereas bhakti doesn't has no concept of mind right they don't really care right bhakti just goes and they achieve i just want to lay that framework right this is just one path <clears throat> this is not the path right this is in yeah. fact there's a beautiful uh, i think story in bhagavatam if you call i could be get the scripture wrong there's a rishis who are meditating intellectual people meditate right because that's the mind people are on the deciding on the mind they meditate and the people in the heart so there were gopis who were uh, also dancing and Uh, trying to meet krishna right now the rishis are meditating so these gopis are making noise and the rishis are like saying hey guys don't make noise i'm meditating here i'm trying to see god gopis are saying i'm playing with krishna shut up and go you know <laughs> so it's just i mean just the context i'm just giving the framework because each of us may have a different mindset sometimes we, we just just be aware who what mindset you resonate with and then that that is the path you have one has so just want to give that sure. context yeah that is beautiful muku so um, you know um, uh, so i like this picture but you know when i i've always struggled with the right picture that can depict panchakosha okay and uh, um, you know uh, the reason is uh, if you if you if we start presenting it in this fashion where which is layer within the layer then the picture also communicates that the physical body is the largest in this thing but it's actually the reverse if you look at it that's number one okay physical body is very small the pranamaya kosha the prana does not uh, does not just stay within the body it's it's everywhere prana is everywhere what goes on within our body is just one part of the thing that nourishes the physical body okay and likewise the mind the mind is not restricted to the physical body the mind is everywhere you know you can uh, close your eyes or open your eyes and you are in a different space different time time okay so mind also it uh, goes beyond the space time constraints except the physical body which is within the space time constraints okay the same thing is vignana maya kosha you know intellect does not care where you are in an aeroplane or in a, a congested jail cell or uh, wherever you know it does not care no time space constraints for that and then ananda maya kosha i mean it, it has you don't even know who you are when you are when you are in the deep sleep so you know in a way i think you know the picture has to be represented in ulta okay that's one one comment that i had the second thing is you know swami ji if, if those of you who have met swami ji right you know he he talks about a story and you know uh, you know his style you know he will 
he will never his voice is always constant you know it will never go up and down like this but you know if i were to dramatize the story what he's going to say what he says in one of his talks and the impact on on the koshas it's like this right and this is to answer shamala's question okay so think about a uh, uh, think of think about a young guy okay who is very very excited who is decked up now to get get married to his uh, uh, love of his life okay he's decked up it's he's on the pandal and he's just getting on to the pandal and his body is all decked up that's annamaya kosha his breath is very excited because he's you know getting married and all that stuff then he's imagining you know all the love that he's had in in the past and now all the future life that he's going to have that's the manomaya kosha and then then all the uh, once he's about to ready to go do that then an old woman walks inside and she tells the guy hey listen the girl that you're going to get married is actually your long lost sister okay now what happens to that guy okay in terms of all the things at the body mind breath level does it all go go away dissipate completely and if it dissipates the point is what are the levers that you're trying to use is that the lever the multiple levers like what you and the kishore enumerated right one of the key levers is what is the right knowledge what's the right decision that we're going to make in terms of what our goal is what our uh, path is that we want to do so if you look at if you look at our own lives the the body the breath the mind the emotional mind are all driven by some decision conscious or unconscious that we have taken about ourselves about our situation so the question is what is the framework that we are using to take those decisions and if that is the right framework if that is not the right framework all these other three layers will start working on making your decision become a reality so gita or you know upanishads provide you that particular framework to say that you are not the body you are not the mind you are not the uh, um, even you are not even the intellectual mind so start behaving like who you truly are then then you know you start aligning yourself to a larger Uh, uh identity of yourself rather than to your smaller identity of who you are so uh can i also quickly share something um So we want to put these slides somewhere, right? When or even the ones that Kishore is going to share. Yeah, I could. I mean, I could uh, send it, but I won't. How do I stop sharing? I'll stop sharing. Yeah, you can Subu, continue. Yeah. Subhu, in the in in our Gita group description, there is a oh. there is a Google Drive which which Krishna has created. You can store the file there and share the link. Yeah. Okay. just wanted to share this um basically about uh, asana and pranayama and how they all kind of fit in right and with the the other things that are going to come here right basically um it comes down to the gunas i mean when you look at it from the uh, yoga perspective right it comes down to gunas so as it's pointed out here you know asanas uh, reduces the rajas right so uh, pranayama reduces tamas right reduces the lethargy the uh, lack of clarity 
right? That reduces tamas. And meditation increases sattva, right? So, so net effect of all three done together. I mean, again, asana uh, in, in the yoga sutras, there's only three uh, slokas uh, or sutras mentioned uh, about asanas and six uh, on pranayama. That's pretty much it. It just, it doesn't go into what, asana is basic. Actually, asana is a very interesting one because the way it says is, Asana, that's the main thing it says is Tirasukam Asana. That's pretty much what is mentioned, right? As in a stable place, basically saying how where you sit. But then the key part is the Sukham. Um, the way it was explained is Sukham is around how your breath flows evenly. So you are, when, it's, when you are in Sukham, right, in that state, it's basically your breath is even and it's very, um, uh, what do you say? There's no restriction as it's mentioned. Here. It flows nicely and evenly because that is an indicator of a mind that's very calm already, right? So the, the sukham, it's already starting to regulate, right? Um, uh, so that's what is mentioned here in as uh, asana. I mean, none of the other, um, you know, Patanjali doesn't go into anything else. And all that is part of the Hatha Yoga part, right? But then uh, this is all that is mentioned uh, in, in the Yoga Sutras, right? Uh, Sukham, come means space and it's comfortable, unrestricted. Uh, along with the asana, but mostly inside that, that the breath is able to go very nicely uh, up and in and out. So again, comes back to the breath. Sorry, I'm going back and forth here. And... Um, um, but it's in, essentially, it comes down to this, uh, to the um, uh, three gunas again, right? So, which is where I think, um, uh, like Muku was mentioning, um, the food uh, plays an important part. If we eat uh, Rajasik food, obviously, we are going to, our mind is going to be Rajasik, which means that we'll have to do a lot more <laughs> to actually bring the agitations down. Um, uh, before you can, one can meditate. Uh, the same thing, if we sleep more or if we eat um, or do something that's going to end up with a lot, make us even more tamasic, then that much more we have to do to be able to uh, get the mind to be at the level where it is sharp, right? And is not agitated. Uh, so these are all prerequisites. Um, and obviously, uh, as we know, I mean, how we behave what we say, what we um, engage with in our thoughts, all of those things matter eventually because all of those things are feeding into the mind uh, and, what the, and, and we are trying to reduce the um, agitations in the mind, but when we are constantly feeding ourselves by engaging with unwanted thoughts, right? I mean, random thoughts, may, mostly um, not so useful, um, a type of thoughts that keep coming and we're engaging with it on a daily basis, on a minute by minute basis, right? So I sometimes like when I, uh, let me stop sharing. Um, uh, yeah, the, this thought occurred to me the other day. I mean, the kids, for instance, today uh, are more often than not on their phones, right? They're constantly engaged, constantly engaged and their mind is like, uh, is stimulated at all times with these, uh, with the device. But then we are not too far either we are constantly engaging with random thoughts inside the mind. So what is the difference? They are being stimulated 
through the senses, uh, whatever they're seeing on the screen is coming in and they're engaging with that. And we are just playing out past and future planning and judgment and other things. And we are engaging with that. What is the difference? Seriously. Um, uh, so, so the problem is in that engagement with, with the thoughts uh, without awareness, right? Without awareness, we're just slipping into that at, uh, at uh, various intervals, right? And usually not even knowing to step out and being able to watch your mind, right? Watch the thoughts that are going in the mind. So there is really no difference. So I stopped telling my kids don't be on their phone because, you know, we are doing the same thing. It, it's just at a different level, um, but essentially the same thing, right? Um, and uh, to, to have a mind that's, to me, that the bliss that we are talking about is nothing but having a mind that is uh, um, where the thoughts have really gone down, right? A calm, uh, a stable, calm mind where the thoughts are really, really, really down, really. I mean, you're not suppressing it, but it's naturally become that way because there are no desires pulling it in different directions. You have not said anything harmful, which, is, which causes things to, again, to have the mind to be agitated. So all these things come back, the values, the yamas and yamas, everything comes back um, because finally it comes down to a mind that's, uh, you know, that should be calm, um, and that, that's what we are trying to get at, right? So uh, obviously, knowing yourself as a self and not the body mind is a is a big thing. That's yet another uh, amazing path right there. Because once you trans, you see yourself as something transcendental from your mind and body, um, then obviously you have a higher level of knowledge that's going to let the mind be calm. So these are all different ways, different paths of um, um, of getting to one thing, which is making the mind calm, is, is kind of how I see it. I mean, I, I know it's a different perspective, um, uh, but different ways of doing that is how I see it. Beautiful. Yeah. I had this idea for, for, a, for a blog piece that I wanted to write for a long time, right? Where do you draw a line for your personal space? That was the title of my article, right? Because people say, oh, he's encroaching on my personal space or, you know, whatever. But where do you draw that line? If you say your personal space is, you know, irrelevant, then, you know, what's there for encroachment at all completely? Because as Atma, the personal space is everywhere. Also, the other point is, you know, um, we were speaking about how to regulate the mind, but also the mind plays a havoc on the body, you know, or the sense organs, etc. So I think there is a interconnected relationships between these, you know, kosas that we spoke about, right? Um, so for example, there are times when um, we close our eyes and we are thinking of the a suite that we want to you know, one of our favorite sweets and our mouth starts to water, right? The sweet is not even come in front of us, but uh, we start to, you know, mouth starts to water. So the body starts to react for everything that the mind is doing. And similarly, the mind, what it consumes actually has an impact on the, I mean, the body, what it consumes has an impact on the mind. So it's, it's a very interrelated thing, you know, uh, not just, uh, you know, uh, items to control. I mean, not just the anamaya and pranamaya to control the mind. It's, it's also, the mind also, you know, controls the other side, yeah. Absolutely. 
Actually, you know, it is a blessing. And, and, sorry, go ahead. Finish your thought. No, no, no. Uh, just wanted to check with Kishore. I mean, this is Patanjali Yoga Sutras. I mean, the slides that you're showing. That is right. Okay. That's right. So um, there's a really, um, uh, I mean, I, uh, Rajesh, do you know somebody by name Sriram Sarvotam? Yeah, anyway, so he, uh, he teaches uh, uh, yoga, yoga sutras here, he's one of the prominent teachers here. I, I happened to attend his um, yoga sutras class a few years ago, and these are slides from his, um, uh, from his class. And after that, uh, I ended up listening to Swami Guru Paranandaji's uh, uh, complete talks on uh, yoga sutras, and eventually understood where they all kind of tie in uh, and come together uh, in a very beautiful way. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Alpana. Sorry. And I was just saying that it's a blessing that it's a monkey mind. Imagine if the mind was stuck to sweets, we'll never be able to even move it to any other goal. <laughs> it's a blessing that it's a monkey mind. Yeah. Uh, Subhu, uh, another way of looking at, I mean, you were saying, is there any other way to express the koshas, right? I mean, obviously the, uh, um, uh, the chariot analogy from Katha Upanishad would be, Katha Upanishad would be another way, right? Uh, in which the same thing is expressed and, and the, the relationship is expressed in a slightly non-linear, I mean, in a different way, uh, not in the one inside the other way, right? So the chariots and the five horses being the sense organs. Sense organs, yeah. Brains being the mind. Uh, the charioteur um, being the intellect. The passenger, right, um, uh, being actually, do they say Andamaya uh, uh, Kosha here? I don't think so. The, the charioteer is the self. I mean, sorry, jiva. the passenger is the self here. The individual, the jiva. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, the, the jiva. Yeah. And uh, the whole, the, whole uh, the path, um, wh what would then, the, the path is your life, isn't it? And the whole message of Gita is hand over the control to... Krishna. The Lord. Bhagavan. Yeah. Don't control it. <laughs> yeah. That would be the... Actually, the chariot analogy is a very powerful analogy. Yeah. Very, very powerful. And it just yesterday... In Vishnu Sahasranam, you know, that uh, Guru was kind of explaining the deeper meaning of, um, you know, what happened, you know, what's the significance of Bhishma, what's the significance of Drona in the context of attachment and all that, right? So Bhishma is actually attachment, apparently, for Arjuna, right? You know, Drona was probably more of, quote-unquote, uh, uh, I would say... Uh, a little distant, but Bhishma was someone that he has played in, in, in Bhishma's laps and all that. And so there was this attachment to Bhishma that was pretty intense for him, for, uh, for, uh, uh, for Arjuna. And uh, it is, that is exactly the attachment what uh, Krishna wants to break. And so he places the chariot in front of Bhishma. And then, you know, then there's another reason what, why he talks about Arjuna, Drona also. And then you know, uh, Drona also got, you know, like attachment, there's something else for Drona. I don't recall what it is when it, when I get it and let you know. But it's so powerful analogy, you know, this so, 
just can't believe the depth with which this depictions have been done in our scriptures. Uh, in fact, in uh, most of our practices, right, um, uh, there is a lot of emphasis to actually draw yourself inward and, and uh, you know, control the sen control of sense organs because it's through the sense organs that you're actually, you know, drawn to the external world, right? So if you see some of these practices uh, that we have, right, so um, the fasting is one, you know, uh, the if you take the different kinds of sense organs that are there, you know, um, uh, for the tongue, fasting is advised, you know, some over a period of time, then, uh, you know, Maunavrat is something that people practice to ensure that you don't, you know, generally indulge in too much of talking, excessive talking, then, you know, closing eyes and doing meditation is a way of actually, you know, shutting off your eyes and uh, this one, and then hearing to the right sounds, you know, kirtans, whatever is more to, you know, please the ears and ensure that, you know, uh, or some people chant, um, you know, very loudly within, right? When you do meditation, right? Uh, my One of my gurus used to say that, you know, when you chant, you need to chant in such a way that your lips should not move and the sound should be heard within, you know? Um, so he that's the way he would actually recommend. So most of the things that you see here, like the practices that we are told to do when we were kids, um, Probably we didn't understand it to that extent, but uh, it's more to, you know, deal with the fact that, you know, how do you regulate your sense organs, therefore regulate your mind and therefore turn environment, you know, on the, beyond the spiritual path. Well, and uh, here also, and here also, I think, you know, um, amongst the sense organs, I don't know whether you've heard this, uh, you know, Satisava, we used to say that uh, the tongue is the most uh, difficult, you know, uh, to control, right? Because it has two functions. It can it can speak uh, and it can actually, you know, consume food, right? So he says the biggest, uh, the most difficult one to control is your tongue. It's everything else is, you know, uh, slightly better off and easier to do so. Well said, Subhu. Sakuba. Yeah. <clears throat> You know, I understand, you know, what we eat or uh, what we eat, what we sense, what we see, you know, they all affect our uh, prana and mind. Uh, just wondering, is there a reverse relation to that? You know, if I'm able to somehow do a proper pranayama, would it also help me to control my sense, input, sense inputs that go into my gross body? The short answer is yes. If you want proof of it, try it. It works. Yeah, no, that's an interesting question, Satya. Um, it is like, as you, you know, uh, the type of things that you end up doing as the, the mind-body becomes more sattvic uh, would be different, right? The choice you make on type of food or the type of places that or engagement that you, um, you know, things that you engage with, uh, the, the whole interest and uh, it will go away right that, and starts to build vairagyam towards a lot of these things so it, it in other words it plays both it, it goes both ways i think yeah absolutely i think uh, sakuba even if even the simple act of uh, uh, breath observation for some time 
um, let's say two minutes or one minute before you eat any food, uh, will first thing within, within, let's say, two, three weeks of you doing that practice, you will see that you are actually eating much lesser than what you're eating. First thing. And I know, um, uh, Rajesh, you had posted about pranayama and obviously that needs to be learnt and under guidance and before you practice. Breath observation, though, is, is a lower barrier. I mean, there isn't, you're not controlling the breath, but you're observing the breath. And the act of observation reduces or regulates, right? The act of observation regulates, um, whether it's breath and in and all, uh, same thing with the mind, the thoughts in the mind. So if you're able to do both, I think that regulates it to a large extent, actually. Surprisingly, you, you'll be surprised how just the act of observation does this. Sagubai, it again goes back to the, the thing that, you know, Kishore was pointing out sometime back, right? Saying that with a calm mind, you know, the you can see the bottom of the lake much more clearly, that analogy of the lake, right? So what happens is that when, uh, here is how I understood the, from the mechanism of how pranayama works, right? In, 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 in my case, when you start doing this pranayama, whether it is just simple breath observation or holding the breath or whatever, what happens is that the thoughts actually go down they actually go down significantly. And once the thought go down significantly, then the intellect, it starts raising its head and it starts questioning you saying that, okay, what you're doing, is it right or is it wrong? That's the key question that it keeps asking. For example, you're eating food. Okay, are you eating the right kind of food? We never ask that question, actually, most of the time. Okay, you go to a restaurant, you order whatever is there, but the, has it ever crossed our mind saying that, is it the right, up, right type of food to eat while we're sitting in the restaurant? Chances are very rare. Okay. But if that crosses, if that thought crosses you in your mind, then the choices what you make will not be determined by the taste of the food, but will be determined by what is there in that food, which you think is good for your body and mind. That's the subtle shift that will happen. Happen sometime even now, but uh, not so consciously. Yeah, yeah it will happen because you know we all of us are conscious individuals, and you know the intellect is always functioning. But to 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 the point that Subhu was making sometime back, right? The emotional mind is so strong that the intellectual mind's uh, decision is not heard of by the emotional mind. Right. And therefore, it is not implemented. The slip between the cup and the lip that we talk about. The, the example there in, in one of the books I read, um, this is by Swami Tadatmananda. So he talks about being in, uh, in a railway station in Mumbai. And you're, you're, somebody's trying to tell you, even though they are close to you, there's so much noise. There's just so much noise. Uh, you can't hear anything. Even though, you know, the, the other person is talking to you, you just cannot make sense out of it at all. Now, um, it's like that because the, the emotional mind is providing so much mental, uh, I mean, thoughts and mental agitations are so much that uh, the intellect's uh, voice is completely lost. Uh, so this is also why in meditation, um, uh, not just in meditation, when, when the thoughts uh, slow down um, and the intellect is able to present itself, the clarity, there is mental clarity, right? There is, yeah, and you may have seen, you will also see that 
some problem that you've been kind of working with for a long time suddenly just makes sense because uh, you know your your mind is calm and intellect pres- literally presents that option to you or the solution to you and you see that um, it, it, it's so surprising then that uh, it was right there it, you just didn't hear it because you you're so engaged with uh, all the activities in the mind emotional mind that you uh, didn't see it True, very true. Yeah, just a one aha for me for this week is uh, I think the f- desire, uh, fear, and anger, right? Those three emotions. So, so I think a lot of times the anger, because he uses, uh, I mean, a few places I've seen the anger and uh, fear gets interchanged many times as, as a, so may, I'm kind of, I was reflecting, maybe a lot of times we get angry because we are afraid in many situations. I think it could be a subset. If fear and greed is a bigger topic, the anger comes out as a, as because we you know a lot of times we get angry because you get angry at someone because you're, you're afraid they won't do the way you want to do, right? So you're using anger as an expression to kind of let them toe the line or with kids or with you know with relationships, so that's that is that is one thought I was having is anger is out of fear as an emotion. So just just a, just one reflection there. Yeah. There's one thing difference between five point two three and five point two six. So in five point two three. It says that the desire and anger, um, one should be able to withstand it. So that means, you know, it is coming, but you are putting in an effort to withstand it. Whereas in 5.26, it refers to, you know, you're devoid of desires and anger. So it's an effortless exercise. So that, that means you have, it's a, it's a state closer to either enlightened or actually even enlightened, yes. So does it, uh, in this case, does it mean initially we have to withstand it? This is the tolerance, this titiksha, right, in different ways. Um, uh, I don't know if it can be called titiksha, but you withstand it and then later on you transcend it. Yeah. Right. Whether good, you directly good withstand short order, it. I did not notice that. Thank you. Yeah. Either you directly withstand it or through knowledge you can as well. I mean, it becomes redundant. Right. Yeah, but yeah, you do. So that was one thing. And then uh, um, it talks about yeah the meditation. So what is the purpose of meditation in this context? Uh, it is not the uh, samadhi or the dhyan or the dharana of the uh, of the Patanjali Yoga, but it is more. Um, to the enlightenment, there are two problems. Why, in spite of understanding it, we don't get it because of either asambhavana or vipreet bhavana. So either um, we think it's not possible that we are Brahman, or the second thing is this world appears too real to be to think that it is it is apparent. So that is the vipreet bhavana. So to remove the vipreet bhavana, so the the uh, the logic is same where. Uh, you try to focus, but here, instead of making it a thoughtless mind, you create the thought that 
you know, about the identity of Brahman and you. And the longer you can hold on to that thought that you are Brahman, either it is Aham Brahmasmi, so that the other, the Viprit Bhavna don't come in. And you keep extended time of that. That is the Nidityasan uh, exercise. Or that's the Vedanta, Vedantic meditation we talk about. Uh, we talk about in different context because i think the 27th and 28th mantras they are um prelude to chapter six that's right so. and it's here, interesting it's uh, sorry i'm gonna go ahead just, just one more point that it, uh, wherever i think krishna is referring to that uh, you know uh, in the last shloka as well uh, wherever he says uh, look into me or devotion with me. He's referring to that real self, not Krishna as the as the individual. Yeah. Go ahead, Sari Rajesh. No, it's, uh, what I was saying was it's very interesting that uh, uh, you know whenever I've I've talked to any of these uh, uh, the companies out here, you know, giving some quote unquote talks on meditation and all that, right? It seems very. I get this feeling that they're very very. Uh, intuitively understand what is Vedantic meditation, although don't use the words Vedantic meditation or whatever. When we put it, when they express that concept, I think everybody seems to get it very easily. Really? Okay. That's surprising to me. So, uh, here's something that I've, uh, again, based on some assumptions from my side, but I'll leave it out, which is that um, even when I listen to Swami P, uh, is Bhagavad Gita, um, and others, um, um, I get a feeling that, um, especially with Swami P, he was playing it, playing meditation down significantly. Um, and which is, this is true from like uh, many Vedantic teachers, right? And um, um, Swami G on the other side, in his Yoga Sutras, I mean, I've not seen anybody else, any other Vedantic teacher take on Yoga Sutras and, and, and explain it, right? So, he, uh, the way he presented in the first two things, he explains why uh, and what role does yoga play in the study of Vedanta right? and how he lays that out. And so he says, okay, at uh, yoga and Vedanta are um, two different philosophies at the very core, they differ. We, we all, we, we agree. Um, and he explains that uh, difference. Uh, and, and I would say, uh, Vipassana and Buddhism, they, they also differ, obviously, significantly uh, at, at the core, right? So let, let's set aside Buddhism for some time, but uh, just between yoga and uh, they, they differ. So he says, yes, we agree to disagree on the core, um, philosopher, uh, core philosophy. Let's set that aside. But then he says, there are so many things in Yoga Sutras that help you along the path. Of, the, uh, uh, of Vedantic study, especially um, because uh, especially the understanding of how mind works, uh, that is laid out so beautifully uh, in the Yoga Sutras. They go into it in depth on how thoughts arise, where do they come from, what are the gunas, how, how does that play um, a role in your life? And then the path of Ashtanga Yoga uh, on uh, the the path which includes and yamas and yamas. I mean, I mean, people just say meditate, right? But hello, you cannot do that if on one side you haven't, uh, you're not following in, in a lack of better words like the dharma, if you will, 
uh, on one side and then hope to meditate on the other because it's just not possible. So how they laid out yamas and yamas and what is, um, and, and on different situations that happen in our daily life, right? Um, be it ahimsa, be it uh, satyam. I mean, even though satyam is translated as truth, but actually there are many layers to it. Uh, so just to take one example here, uh, Swamiji says about truth. It's like, um, so let's take an example of a doctor who's, uh, and this is a classic example, uh, who has a patient and the, he has just seen this patient. The doctor is aware that this patient is not going to survive, right? He's an advanced cancer patient and he's not going to survive. But if he says, tells that to the patient, it's going to make him miserable right away. And he knows that the patient is not going to be able to take it. So what does he do? Here is a dilemma. Should he, and the patient asks him, am I all right? And am I, am I going to live to see whatever, right? You know, years time, my son's wedding or whatever. Um, um, so he's in a dilemma, should I lie to him? Is that a lie? Uh, or should I uh, tell him that he's okay? Uh, should I tell him he's okay? Or should I give him the, uh, the message up front? So here's a dilemma that's going to cause a disturbance in his mind right away. Now, let's say he chooses the path. Um, how does he choose the path, right? And th that's kind of an example of where you could apply this right away in day-to-day -day life. So Swamiji says that uh, there's a reason why Satyam is below Ahimsa in the list of Yamas, okay? So uh, in this case, he says, yes, it is okay to lie, right, to this person because the intention is not to, uh, not to create havoc in this other person's life right away, right? And you want to bring it at the right time. So knowing that and going with that awareness that what I'm seeing is not a lie. The, uh, actually, Swamiji says a lie in this case is also truth, okay? So if I know this, then I'm not disturbed. You see what I mean? I, it no longer disturbs my mind when I make that decision, oh, did I lie? I mean, I can sleep well in the night knowing fully well that I took a very aware, um, conscious uh, decision based on these things, this framework that's provided to me. So then I use that. My mind is not disturbed. Again, which means it's, it, it's in a more calmer state, right? So these situations happen to us like literally on a daily basis so many times every day. So how do you then use this? Obviously, the framework, uh, obviously, of Karma Yoga or many other values that's mentioned in the Gita and in Nemas and Nemas. These are, to me, as a framework to fall back on. And obviously, the, the golden rule of Dharma. Um, uh, so these are all things that we can apply to already keep the mind in a decent place, right? In a decent place. And then from there to take, on, take it to the next level. Because if this doesn't happen, anything, inner journey doesn't happen. It, it's very, very, very hard. Right, if the mind is um, uh, in a in an agitated state, so uh, so to me, all these things play a, a very very important part uh, in helping us bring that mind to that place. Now, um, that, that's kind of and so I, I really like what Swamiji has done here because he has taken the essence of it. Like he only covers the first two chapters of Yoga Sutras, He's saying that the other two chapters, where the, especially the last one, gets into. Uh, the philosophy, which uh, you know, obviously differs uh, in, in in many ways. So he says, let's focus on the first two chapters, which is very essential and complementary to Vedantic study, right? So that's how he puts it. 
So just wanted to state it out there because there, there are a lot of misconceptions as well as, um, oh yeah, this versus that, that kind of stuff that happens. Um, it seems like to me, um, but I see the beauty in bringing the essence together. In fact, I quite agree uh, on the last comment, right? Uh, what I see is they all at the core are the same, right? I mean, you, Kishore, you made a statement at the core, they're different. I believe they're not, right? Whether it is Bhakti, whether it is Karma. Yeah, it seems like, know. apparently, it, it seems like that. Yeah, but that's just in the fringes, right? That's, I think people who, I mean, who don't study enough, right, um, uh, will will get that impression. And, 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 and again, a lot of the divisive narratives in the last post-British colony has kind of created that, right? One, we lost a lot of Acharya's uh, masters who could who could articulate that understanding. Second, then the British had their own spin to their, uh, you know, their translations and the narrative. That I think, I think that's part of what it is. But at the core, uh, I mean, you, you will you will see such an amazing synchronicity in the message, uh, right, between all the philosophies. Yeah. Uh, like for example, the Satya that you talk about, which if you translate to integrity, right integrity of your identity, then it is Vedanta, right? See, the Satya will start as a peripheral, I will not speak truth. But, you know, it will seep into the question when who you are, then you start questioning the integrity of your identity, right? See, that's how the Satya will work. When the Satya from an outside practice is done, will 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 fall in when it when it goes into the being, it will become, it will start aligning the integrity of the identity, right? And then it becomes Vedanta, right? Who are my question gets answered. So every, every path, at least I've seen and studied or based on my guru's teaching, always leads to just the same message. There's no difference. Um, the core is exactly the same. I think just all this lot of divisive BS um, and misunderstanding, I think, causes a lot of that. Yeah. That's just uh, that's, that's the perspective, yeah. Completely agree. Yeah. Wonderful, Mukund, yeah. And the, the motto, the motto be actually you know, yeah. the Ashoka, below the Ashoka, uh, you know the uh, stamp that we have right in India, Satya Mevajayate. See, actually, uh, just one more point to add. You know, in all these dilemmas one faces, right, uh, to do or not to do, etc. I think the underlining emphasis has always been on intent. Okay, mm -hmm. if you have good intent. Um, you know, um, it is good karma, whether the action is wrong, uh, you know, good or bad. Just to give you an example, right? Um, if the mother finds the son uh, not behaving properly, okay, it is okay for the mother to apprehend uh, and, you know, sort of admonish the child, right? The action here may be seen as bad because you're probably beating the child or pushing it to the corner, but the intent is to correct the child. Yeah. So, Whenever you're in a dilemma, I think intent supersedes action to call it a good karma or a bad karma. Reverse, okay? You are trying to say, you know, uh, you have bad intents, okay? You want something out of this person, but you try to behave in a very nice and sweet manner to get something done, okay? It is bad karma, though the actions are, you know, appearing, seemingly appearing good, right? So if I were to just extrapolate this, and say, if intent is superior to action in a dilemmic, uh, in a situation where there's a dilemma, then intent draws itself from the purity that you actually attain as a person from mm -hmm. within. Only when you have purity will you be able to have the right intent always. 
you know, irrespective of the circumstances, right? And to me, that's exactly where I agree with what Mukund and everybody says. Finally, everything lands up there, you know. Yeah. The, the crux of everything finally comes to the fact that, you know, you have to have, you know, purity in, you know, thought, word and action. But just yeah. to thought I'll add. Uh, no, no, yeah. that's very beautifully said. That's very beautifully said. Yeah, because, and, and take the case where the intent was bad, but the person behaved really, you know, very sweetly. Nicely. Well. That person cannot sleep in the night. Correct. And, and, you know, coming back to this uh, same thing on integrity. The material right? thing that they wanted to achieve, but in the night, they may not be able to sleep, right? Because it's in your mind is Absolutely. going to, that's finally where it's going to get resolved. Your mind is going to Absolutely. be able to sleep. So, exactly. Yeah. Sorry. So, so in fact, in fact, uh, you know, um, so, so the first thing is to ensure purity, okay? And then when you say integrity, it is actually a, a synchronization of, you know, thought, word, and action, okay? Right? So when you are in sync with thought, word, and action, uh, you are, you know, you are said to be, you know, an integrity, I mean, uh, a person with good integrity. So for example, when you attain purity, then you can say what you think, right? There is no difference there because, you know, end of the day, everybody understands the intent behind this person is a, you know, right thing. And then you end up doing what you say and you end up doing what you actually say. So basically you draw into basically the action part of it. Now, typically uh, just going back to corporate lessons a little bit, right? Uh, a lot of times people do not have this trikarana shuddhi, you know, of thought, word and action, right? They will think something, but they will say something else. Right. They may not agree with the boss, but they will say, you know, yes, you know, we should probably do it. Now, this gap between, say, thinking and saying is called the courage gap. You don't have the courage to say it out. Right. OK. And the second part is you commit yourself to something like you say, tell your kid, you know, on a Sunday, I'll take you out for a movie. I will do this. I will do that, etc. But when it actually the time comes, you sort of tend to take a different position altogether. And that is a commitment gap, what you say and what you do. Okay. So typically, so there are three things here. One is purity of the mind. Then, you know, uh, or integrity in terms of thought, word and action. And if you're able to manage this, I think we'll all be at peace to a large extent, you know. Uh, in terms of following, uh, and 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 like you said, our mind will not be disturbed about all the actions that we end up doing, you know, in this uh, external uh, situations that we encounter. And exactly. the value Arjavam represents that. Arjavam, Arjavam. I was about to say that. Yeah. Okay. 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 Now you said Arjunam, is it? Arjavam. Arjavam. Okay. Arjavam. I have heard this before. Arjavam is integrity ah, okay. of thought, uh, action. Okay. 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 Before we before we hand it over to Chitra, Subhu, what's your daytime job? What is my daytime job? Yeah. Uh, so I work at Philips. Yeah. What? Why? Why suddenly? No, no. You're talking about leadership in work and all that, right? So I no, no. I that's that's because uh, no, no, no. Uh, I was at the helm of things. I was a CEO for about eight years. Now I'm doing a different role in digital transformation. But having said that, I think the leadership, that's what I always see that, you know, there is a lot of learning that I have taken from spirituality, which has helped me in my, you know, uh, leadership uh, and uh, working. And end of the day, you know, leadership sums up in awareness. You know that? End of the day, remember last time we spoke about the fact that uh, 
you know you need to be responsible for everything right what you do and what you don't do etc so end of the day uh, i think rajesh you raised this question you know how can you take responsibility for something somebody else has done etc so for me uh, if you look even more deeper i think it is about you know were you aware in the first place that something like this was happening right so end of the day um, you know spirituality helps us to become a little bit more aware of ourselves and our surroundings and that helps in leadership also to be able to you know deliver on your job Awesome. Sitra, over to you. Yeah, I know we are at the end of it, so I don't want to keep it long. But just uh, the thing about intent that you were talking, um, it can actually be uh, a little bit of a slippery slope. Depends on my awareness, like you were saying, how aware am I of myself and how truthful am I to myself? And that differs from person to person, right? So like... as like you said a mother is admonishing a child um we really don't know the deeper intent behind it right it could be uh, it could be something like you know i don't like other people to say bad things about you right uh, or it could be really that this was a bad thing that i wanted so it's it's a very um, what do you call it uh, it's a gray area that's all i wanted to put out there that uh, intent can become a gray area and it can work really well only when we are very aware of ourselves like we can go deep in and actually go to the crux of where why did we do this which i think is not always is sometimes we don't even know that you know like i think when we talk about our vasanas or you know our uh, whatever our something that drives us and we are not even aware what is driving us so just wanted to put it chitra great point chitra but uh, uh, the way that i uh, and i've gone through that similar kind of a you know thinking process and one thing what finally i concluded is that uh, uh, yes we may not be we may not be uh, completely knowledgeable about our own our own self our own motivation and everything but as long as the intent is based on the fact that it is not going to be benefited to me but to be benefited to the other person in in question then i think it's most of the time we'll make the right decision so the, the the question is about asking what is the intent behind my thought and who is the beneficiary for that intent again <laughs> um that's true but i again feel it's a very uh, it's not black and white um i could say and i'm just coming as a mother right and i i'm a teacher so i see a lot of parents right and almost all parents love their children they want to do the right thing for their child there's not a single parent who does not want to do the right thing for their child but uh, it doesn't always become the right thing for the child right so that's what i'm trying to say here is the intent is yes i want to do the right thing for my child but does it translate into the right thing for my child not always because of whatever you know the gaps in in my knowledge of myself or my knowledge of what i think is the right thing for the child <laughs> i might think this is the That's right it. thing i'm doing for the child but maybe it isn't so just i mean yeah. i'm not saying there's always just a but gray area in dimension but that's the only thing that we can control right chitra i mean the intent is the one that you can act from a uh, you know from purity if you do not know we do not know that is true but i'm saying we can't rest saying my intent was right so i did it now what to do no the point is i start we we have to start accepting the fact that you know we are work in progress just like everybody else we are not perfect and therefore 
we make the best decisions based on the circumstances uh, of where we are in our thinking process as long as we are guided by the fact that that decision take the example of what you mentioned about you know uh, the the mother chiding the child because she she doesn't want you know the, the child to look bad in front of others now that could be right or wrong depending on what that mother's mindset is at that point of time right if at that point of time if her mindset is okay you know i i don't want my child to be uh, uh, seen negatively in the society uh, you know uh, or you know it's, it's is it a reflection if she thinks that it's a reflection of my upbringing then there's a big difference okay if she thinks it's a reflection of my upbringing that my child my my neighbor will think that you know what kind of a mother this person is she doesn't even have taught basic manners to her children then that's a it goes straight to the intention problem there the intention is mera problem hai you know i have to you know i have to be known as a good mother in this society but the intention is okay the child is doing wrong but i don't want the child to be uh, seen negatively because at this point of time the the stage where the child is it's okay to make that mistake then you cover it up it's okay that's how i would think it yeah but a lot of times we don't even realize na huh? rajesh how many times like we don't even realize that we are doing this because we don't want to look bad yeah correct we don't realize it i agree with you that is where, that is where the 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 question of you know going through this framework helps right in in terms of you know calming your mind and really thinking through what is important what is not Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So I need to go back the, to the question. The, I, I, I'm, I'm uh, with Chitra on this. Actually, with Chitra, yeah. Like the, the most, I think most of humanity is not even aware. Exactly. It's like actually, you know, goes on and just it's an auto, you know, autonomous uh, motion and never. Uh, yeah, I agree. In fact, uh, Chitra, I think uh, very well said when you said that uh, you know this is all good if you know you are at a heightened state of awareness, right? So you know that it is the right intent. I think uh, that is a very uh, good statement that you said because I'm just reminded of the story of uh, you know in Mahabharata itself, right? About uh, uh, Krishna sending Yudhishthir and uh, Duryodhan, you know, all around the world and say that you know find out somebody who's you know um uh, go around the world and tell me what you see and you know uh yudhishthir went around and he said that everybody in the world is much better than me and that is turidana said that you know i went around the world that you know everybody you know i am better than everybody else right uh so essentially what you think uh you know for a for a person who has uh who's for whom it is okay uh to do something wrong i'm not sure whether this particular philosophy will framework will actually work for him but for somebody who has you know uh, inclining uh, inclination towards a higher degree of consciousness when you say right and wrong i think it comes in a certain way and one last thing i just wanted to say is that uh, you know what uh, kishore said is that what is right or wrong is something that allows you to have a peaceful sleep at night right um so so if you are able to do certain things and not be having any regrets about it um i think uh, you know uh, probably you can justify to the extent uh, that you have done it in the best of the circumstances and the best of the information available to you but yes there is a question of this johari window where i don't know what i don't know you know right uh, so that is always the question i think point well made uh, chitra so just just a perspective right i think the intent any intent that emphasizes a smaller i right 
the belief that the smaller i exists um is is bs right i mean doesn't matter uh, i mean any intent any idea anybody enforces whether it is the teacher the parent the neighbor on the on the idea that you exist and you have to do something to get there you have to do this right all that which is 99.999999% of what the society and everybody else teaches is complete bs right the intent becomes co- contextual when the action is performed on the framework that that this this i smaller i is unreal and there is a bigger i that can be experienced so when an action is performed in that co- context is where the intent becomes relevant so which is which is why the gurukuls were so important in those days because the gurukuls when the kid goes to a gurukul the seed is you know the smaller right does not exist and there's an enlightened master who looks at the vasanas of the chil- children and then based on that either teaches them to warfare teaches them into you know vedas based on where which path he can get to his enlightenment right Uh, so from that context at least my perspective is in anything is 99.999% of all the intent that we all think for greater good of god greater good of humanity greater removing poverty is all just uh, is is no no value add right that's not the context of vedas vedas is a context when you when your intent is operate from the framework the small i is not correct move towards a bigger i in whichever path you go that's just that's that's a perspective so because all other intent the smaller i are equally bad is what i'm saying whether you say kill your neighbor teach your child to kill your neighbor or teach your child to you know what are the lawns they're just as bad as just at but one level they're just terrible the truth we all need to strive is tell the kids about the possibility that small i doesn't exist and the bigger i exists move towards that that's the only only truth we can give the children or anybody ourselves also Muku Sixer to that last bowling. <laughs> no, I think we should talk some time as to how do we effectively communicate this to kids. Right? Yes. You know, one for us to even acknowledge, I won't say totally understand and assimilate, that's a little, some more time away. But even when we acknowledge this, how do we... communicate this i mean they they're at a completely different level of understanding uh, where do we start and how do we start and you know that that, that can be a good discussion too agree agree there yeah. yeah i have a very radical view on that i don't think any amount of words will get into any children we have to what change what you do we'll have to see that change within us that's it yeah uh, they hmm. always say no children actually uh, uh don't listen to what you say but they actually end up doing what you do so i think in some way i think that's a very uh, pertinent thing but yes i think it's a good discussion to have shamla because um many of us have traveled this journey for some time now but uh, we still probably um have some learnings here which probably we could share here yeah. you know my 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 uh, my solace would be if the if the age at which a parent would uh, has quote unquote realized and changed this changed the path if if it is one day lesser than that for the children i think it's great 
<laughs> at least <laughs> but do we need to if it is all a dream or is it that, that that's uh... <laughs> 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 another picture <laughs> that's like you know throwing the ball out to the next next cricket yard <laughs> all right let's conclude with our concluding prayer alpana i think you'll have to send us the notes for the next shlokas for the next no, we're done with the fifth chapter so the sixth one will start only after two this thing 6.1 oh yeah that's right that's right okay Okay, and Subhu, you go first with the uh, chapter five summary. Next next uh, week, I may not be there. There's a wedding in the family, so I will not be there. It's a reception. No problem. Yeah? No, no problem. So I will join on the fourth. Yeah, we will join on the following week for you. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, Subhu, just send us the slides. We can all work on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've done only four. Yeah, and the first four and the last four, I haven't done something in between. But uh, if required, I'll try and do something and send no, no, something. I'm yeah, I'm just joking, Subhu. <laughs> No, no, no. That's okay. Some, some no, students a... don't study notes also. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. For me, I think this session has been a good, uh, you know, uh, thing because uh, I'm also trying to understand it a little deeper. And uh, the way you guys are doing it, uh, you know, five five slokas as a sadhana is something that I haven't done in the past. So, I'm happy to have joined this group to do this. Thank you very much. Yeah. Oh, wonderful! It's uh, we've been having fun actually, and I think we we just fixed on this format. Uh, you know, somehow it just happened. That's all. I don't think uh, yeah. you know. It's all kripak. Sure. You need God's grace for everything. Yeah. 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 Sairam. Yeah. Thank you. Om Sarve Bhavantu Sukhinaha Sarve Santu Niramaya. सर्वे भद्राणि पश्यन्तु मा कश्चिद् दुःखभाग भवेत् ओम शान्ते 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 श्री गुरुभ्यो नमः हरिः ओम हरिः ओम हरिः ओम थैंक यू थैंक यू एवरीवन एंड नेक्स्ट वीक वी विल डू द रिवीजन चैप्टर 5 हरिः ओम बाय बाय